Hey there, and welcome to the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. And we have a really special episode for you tonight. It is not a Super Rugby kind of introduction to the upcoming Super Rugby AU season. Instead, we are doing a book review and an interview with the author Nick Wasiliev of his debut novel When Men Cry. Nick, how are you? I'm great, mate. Absolutely pleasure to be here, and great to be back on. The- now, with me is obviously Mitch. Mitch, how are you? I'm good. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to this chat. It's going to be good. This is a great novel. Just throw it's, it out there already. It's oh. seriously good. It's seriously good. Um, look, I think I was just fanboying a little bit from Nick when I decided to originally buy it. Um, and then I actually read it and enjoyed it. So it was great that it was a combination of fanboy and actual enjoyment from the novel. Now, Nick, can we just start with, um, can you give us a bit of a no spoiler overview of the book and then just plug yourself? Where do people get it? So the story basically is set early 2020 Sydney. It's the story of, of four mates. They're reuniting for a night out to get on the source, have some fun, have a couple of tins. But as the night goes on, it becomes very clear that one of them is dealing with some stuff, um, mental, um, whatever it may be. He's, he's, he's clearly, there's something not right about it. And basically the story is how the inability of the other three guys to actually uh, ask him that simple, honest basic question of are you okay are you all right mate creates a massive like ripple effect that extends beyond the context of their friendship all other different um and you can get it uh predominantly booktopia um angus and robertson uh most decent bookshops will have it um uh, dimmix as well where i ran into mitch recently (laughs) in castle towers he he was lovely enough to drop by i was there doing a, a little signing event and lo and behold mitch turns up but yeah, uh, any decent bookshop you can. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, like Mitch said before, it we both really, really enjoyed it. Now, I just want to ask to start with, and then I might be quiet, let Mitch jump in for a bit. <laughs> Why did you actually choose to write this book, which so specifically targets men's mental health? Was there a particular inspiration or light bulb moment for you that said, this is what I want to write and why? Funnily enough, no, it just grew. So originally this story was just like a, I was, I was at university, I was drinking, I was hanging out with friends and, and I was doing creative writing, you know, as part of my degree. And I had this, I wrote this story. It originally started as a short story in, and as I was kind of sitting here with this short story, which is basically the first kind of quarter of the book um, was, and as I presented this story, like all of my mates who were like writing buddies were like, this, you can do so much just a short story, even the, 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 the markers and the professors. And from that, I just happened to run into a publisher who then read this story and said, yeah, you, there is, these characters are incredible and amazing. And so originally there was, I just was totally thinking, oh, it's just a story. It's just this and that and the other, but as I kind of delved into it as things were also happening in my own life. I suddenly, this book became a place of escape where you just sit down and you'd write however you were feeling. And this particular angle of mental health just emerged what was happening. And it came, I think as well from things that I was dealing with myself personally, um, things that I was seeing with my mates. So my mates inability to actually speak about, how they were feeling, um, even also the fact that um, other mates around them weren't giving them that actual safe space to do that and say that. Um, and even then from g- just the, just kind of the general feeling around looking at the actual topic of men's, of mental health and seeing that men are actually terrible. At, um, and from that, this story just emerged and, and kind of molded itself and became what it was. It was, it just, it was a very gradual process. It took me a couple of years. And it just became what it was over time. 
Very cool. Very cool. Um, so Nick, we know you personally, you have a strong background in rugby. You yourself play, you write regularly for the, for green and gold rugby, um, and also for rugby.com.au. So what sort of relevance would you say that when men cry has for sort of the average rugby fan? Particularly considering we're a rugby podcast. Why, why are we talking to you <laughs> <laughs> uh, as an author on a rugby podcast? Well, it's, I think uh, particularly for, for rugby fans, there's, you know, one of the things that the, the the book talks about is kind of that blokey element to it. And yeah, there are the kind of the surface things like, yeah, I play rugby and a lot of the characters actually, a lot of some of their conversations are actually based around rugby. A few of them play rugby. Um, there are clubs within Sydney that are, are mentioned by name in the book uh, that I know that some people will read and go, how dare you mention that club <laughs> and all of them and everything associated with it and by there and by extension from mentioning even the name of the club will assign all the baggage associated from years <laughs> of bitterness and rivalry to it. Um, but that, and, and so like it, it's sport again is like one of the, some of the ways that those characters communicate, particularly what, like one of the main guys, but it, one of the things that really t- that was you know interesting is that particularly within that that space um you know within i I play for dremoyne rugby club and you know dremoyne actually has a partnership with a mental health charity called livin who i uh who i worked with because they have you know had had people within their within their circles who have lost been lost to suicide um because people were just not able to speak um and you know particularly look in terms of actually giving that space uh there are many difficult places where men struggle to actually be able to. And Mm. often it's those blokes that really try to paint themselves as being like, okay, and all right. They always put up a front and, you know, they talk about other topics like the sport or going out and getting on the boys, getting on, getting on the drinks rather, not getting on the boys. (laughs) (laughs) Some might. Some might. Yeah. So it's another part of the story, whatever. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it appeals to it. T- it touches on that larrikinness that that men often fall back on, and that you often see within rugby circles and within your local rugby club. Um, but often, some of those blokes that that is often a front because you know people might be dealing with issues external to that you're, that you're not aware of. And what's also great about that is because a rug- rugby clubs, and this is for me personally, have often been a great safe space to actually you're with some mates and and you can admit to them if you know them closely enough enough and if you play with them on a rugby field you you do get to know somebody it can it can also be a space where you can be vulnerable you can say to your mate hey it's i'm struggling i'm dealing with um so it, it touches on some of the issue like things that you see on both both sides good and bad and even within a rugby club like that or within a space specifically like that the issues that can come from not speaking but also the potential for that space to when you were talking about chatting with some of the well the rugby team of the rugby field being a safe space i just imagined you being at the bottom of a ruck just lying next to you getting trodden <laughs> on by all these people just going mate i'm i'm having a really hard time <laughs> anyway anyway i know that's not what you're saying um what we're going to be doing now dear listeners is we're going to be talking about some more specific elements of the book um i just want to quickly say this is a, an official spoiler alert from now we're going to be getting into some points where we're talking about the actual narrative some of the actual characters so spoiler alert mitch do you want to go kind of with the next question uh, yeah, before we actually before we get any further i'm not sure if we've mentioned the name of the novel yet so i, far. I said at the start i said you did start. okay all right maybe i just when, missed when men cry oh, everyone when men cry is the name of the novel so brilliant <laughs> so mitch, another carry point. on 
Um, perfect. All right. So, uh, Nick, when you wrote this book, you've written it from a sort of a first person perspective of the central character, Chris, what influenced you to write your novel in this way? Um, because the, the book is about something intensely, um, it made sense. Like originally I actually experimented when, when I was doing the first couple of drafts, I tried one part from each specific character, but it just wasn't, you, you're not going deep enough. And eventually I focused, decided, okay, I need to focus on this one particular character in this, in this group of men. Um, and the more I was re- writing in third person, it, like in, in kind of a weird way, you, you, you're distant in a way, if you're third person, even if you try to be intensely with a character, um, you need to see it through this. You need to see it through that space. You need to think what they think. You need to, if you're a writer, you need to become this person effectively. So going into first person just na- felt like a natural fit. And while that there's like give and take with whatever you do, it just felt right when you're, within this person's space and and it was very easy to do that because you know i'd pull from nights where i go out with some friends and i'd be like just watching what they were doing picking up the little nuances that were happening between them and it just felt like well this is what the this is what chris would be doing did, mm. did you find that actually in the process of writing you're actually starting to overanalyze inter- social interactions on nights <laughs> out did you find that you were using your mates as well not exactly kind of that it's not not saying your mates are in the book but you're just picking up on the nuance of those interactions and that's feeding into the character of chris you have no idea like even like you'd be like people mates would be coming up to me and going hey you okay you've been really quiet and i'm like oh yeah i'm fine i've just been literally just observing everything that's happening around me because i'm just going this is all gold i need to take in every single thing that's happening it's but yeah it's a funny it is one of the most like the question i get asked the most is mates come up to me and go which character am i <laughs> it's literally the, the, the like and so many of them said oh i'm this character on i'm chris aren't i no i'm logan on oh, i'm a real i'm a real jock person because yeah. i just don't give a fuck or whatever <laughs> actually am i allowed to sw- it's yeah, uh, yeah get- we'll probably edit that one out but that's yeah, okay. no. <laughs> it's very jock yeah <laughs> just it's it's the question that happens all the time and the truth and and often i say like because you can that would be such a dangerous route if you base it specifically off one person but it can also be very limited because yep. when you're writing them you're just looking within the frame of this one person that you know, you know personally it's mm-hmm. always best to write from yourself you know, so. and that actually kind of ties into one of the parts that i wanted to hopefully spend a little bit of time talking about now within the book there are some moments that are really honestly really dark and i personally with my own background surrounding mental health um i found the that that moment where chris was really spiraling going downwards he's going to the gap regularly i i wasn't sure what redemption was going to be happening within that process that chris went through and i was actually getting really worried that he was going to be committing suicide and when you look at that when you look at what happens with logan's background when you look at the depictions of the high rollers at the casino particularly which is just tragic in that particular depiction of the young girl the young girl what type of research did you have to do to be able to have such an authentic portrayal and i'm particularly in in my mind the most powerful part of the book is actually is actually chris and that spiral Mm. that to me was the most authentic part how was that for you to write what research did you have to do was that challenging it's so funny that you say that that was the easy which so because um because at the time so i was writing this in december 18 and i was um personally in a very bad 
place mentally. And it, kind of touching on what I was mentioning earlier, the book became my escape. It, mm-hmm. I would be, I'll be dealing with all of these issues around, you know, myself, how I was feeling in myself or where I, where I saw myself as a, in terms of my career, whatever, everything, everything had kind of snowballed into this particular moment. Um, <clears throat> and so I, you know, I would, I would be at this job and then, you know, for 20 minutes at the end of the day, after I'd done all the work that I had to done, I just sat and I wrote this and it became that little 20 minutes of just escape mm-hmm. where I would just put down a lot of feelings that I was just feeling at that time on the page. Um, but so the, and that, and the feeling that kind of Chris goes through in terms of his own thing, the whole book is about like that whole space of honesty and growing up and being honest with yourself when you aren't okay. You know, Chris is, was just in that period. He's just a lost yep. soul. Yep. He's just yep. so lost. He doesn't know what he wants. He doesn't know who he is. And this, and this is something that every person at some point goes through. Um, so it wasn't hard to actually pull from my own experiences for that. But in also in terms of other research, um, what became very clear when I decided to take this topic on is, is that you need to get it right because you are dealing with a potential topic that if someone who is dealing with this reads it and reacts to it, uh, it might, if you don't tell it right, it could be potentially negative and actually lead to genuine mm. harm. So you need to actually make sure that, that you get it right and that you portray it in a realistic way, or at least in a empathetic, empathetic way so that, people who are, if they are dealing with issues and let's face it, everyone can at some point will deal with with issues like this in their life can relate to it and can understand it. So there was, um, I did a lot of research around actually pro- proper accurate representation of mental health, um, whether it be in film or on the page, I looked at what other people who had done it really well had done right. Um, and then just that actual, in terms of creating that space, that feeling of, of, snowballing even like uh, I, I read listened to podcasts and articles about um, men or police officers who had to had to talk down people off the Golden Gate Bridge and the actual space that people are in when they are physically in that space um, <clears throat> you just I just pull from everywhere because there was just a real desire to really portray this and get it right because it mattered if you get it right because Additionally to making sure that you get it right on the topic, you also, if you get it right, it can also be a tool for a huge amount of good because it can turn the entire notion of mental health into something that's relatable and understandable and uh, break help to, by extension, break that stigma of people going, I'm not isolated and in my own place. This is not just happening to me. This is something that everyone deals with. And if, if that's something that everyone or someone or other people are dealing with, then I can find a way through it um by extension yeah one further thing i'll quickly ask before i let mitch jump in as well is i really i'm not sure if how to say the right words here the with the high rollers and the sex slavery that's happening at the casino it's something that i've have had a long involvement of fundraising to campaign against in southeast asia so when i when i read that it it struck home and struck a chord what did you have any research? Did you have any yeah. like factual information that kind of informed that aspect of the novel? Yeah. So uh, in 2018, actually, at that time, there was a big scandal breaking uh, at the Crown in Melbourne, um, where there had been a similar situation of you know uh, of sex slaves and, and uh, high rollers and, the, and all of that space. So I kind of really. At this particular time, I was looking. I was I was writing this ending point, and I was looking for 
um, you know, Logan had got this job at the casino. He was in this this particular space, which was a very is a you know was going to be incredibly detrimental to his mental health. And I found all of these stories, and they were so heartbreaking. Um, particularly, um, you know, because uh, we because there was this whole and, and considering as well, there was this whole other anti gambling side. And then I was also realizing that Barangaroo, the the casino at Barangaroo, um, a crown casino, uh, was yep. being built at that time and so i thought to myself well if this if, if it's already happening there like it's gonna it just and, and nothing is done about it then it's going to be happening here as well and these are people these are like honestly if people who, who turn to that are are in a desperate desperate situation yep. and and are sucked into something that is very dark and very sad and so it just became uh, it just that part of the story it just kind of it kind of emerged and I had, and from doing that research and finding out those particular events that had happened at the crown in Melbourne, mm -hmm. I kind of crafted this, this story that was incredibly important for Logan. Uh, I, and, and I think it's something that's incredibly important just for wider society to have an understanding of the prevalence of human slavery, but particularly sex slavery as well. Because one of the, the realities is that particularly within Australia and Southeast Asia, by and large, it's actually wealthy white Australian men that are the perpetrators yeah. of sex crimes, particularly cyber sex crimes against minors. So yeah. I just want to say thank you for bringing some of that hidden reality into an opportunity which can be somewhat mainstream so people have a greater awareness of that. So thank you. No, it's a, it's a, any time. It's, it's, we're talking about important topics here. And, mm. the, and the, the, I, this rabbit hole started as well because I, you know, there, there's plenty of comments I make about the actual world of gambling as well um, within that space. And it, it was incredibly, it, it shocked me how far this particular rabbit hole went. Um, and it's important to talk about those. Mitch, over to you. Cool. Um, so obviously the the big theme of the, the book is men's mental health. How did you, you've written it very authentically and you've spoken about how it's your kind of, um, you've had personal experience there, but how did you sort of find a median line with the novel, not go too dark in certain points and, and too light in other parts. And it just flows really well throughout the novel. It's paced quite well. How did you sort of find that pacing? Well, kind of touching back on that Larrikin point, like a lot of mates who I know and who other people know and who you know, often we communicate via humour and via, you know, banter. And that that entire space is actually a really wonderful, joyful, great way of communication. And it's a great way of um of of coordinating that and and being and like being around your friends and 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 that sort of communication can often be really really gorgeous and awesome and fun and and a lot of people talked about how like the 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 whole book isn't just depressing as all hell yeah. and and it's not just about how shit mental about how bad mental <laughs> health can affect you rather sorry i'm, 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 I'm letting it's too fine. many expletives out here it's fine. um it's <laughs> But it can also talk, it's all the, the key story or the key theme about it is being honest with yourself. And not only that, being honest with the people around you and that care and that friendship and that love that exists within that space is a, is an expression of that, whether, and even if you don't think about it and look into it that much, um, it can also be, but obviously, you know, there are moments where that, that larrikinness within the book is pushed a bit too far. Um, and through, you know, how Logan interacts with, with Noah um, and some of the things that they do. And I have I've seen that and experienced it. You know, it happens all the time. It's, um, 
yeah, it's it's just that 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 actual space and that communication um, between each other is a key part of the story and it's and it also makes the actual relationship between these guys believe because you there needs to be genuine love there. yeah and that's one of the key things that really comes through is the fact that they they have this attachment but they also have that ability of early to mid 20 something men of just being so profoundly crap at communicating <laughs> that when like when they don't catch up for about three months or something like that throughout the timeline of the book i'm like oh yeah that's, that's, that's pretty standard that they are good friends, but they still don't actually get around to organizing to see each other within that time frame. Um, it was something I kind of laughed at when yeah. I noticed the big gaps between. And on top of that, like, and this is where the relations, because, you know, Chris you know, and Louise, that whole thing there, mm. there was a bit, one person who I did this, another podcast with in November last year, basically was like, she's almost like becomes a mother to him. Yep. Mm. And, and, and I was like, yes. And that when there was a big factor to that was, which is just what she's saying is common sense. It's an actual common sense thing. And his lack of ability to communicate and his lack of ability to actually be learn that be like helpful or constructive in that space is it's, it's so it makes you realize how easy it is to actually do it. Um, but also at the same time, how terrible, you know, men in their early twenties are at it. <laughs> and also how terrible men in their early twenties can be towards their mothers. Seriously. What is the deal with Chris being a complete asshat to his mum throughout almost the entire book? Oh, <laughs> uh, so uh, this is based on, it's not, not on relationship with my mother, by the way, I have a fantastic <laughs> relationship with my mum, but it's the idea of kind of that space where you are at around the age of 18, 19, yep. 20, when you finish school, where you just, you kind of want to like shake off the shackles. You want to be who you are and you want to be this person that you want to be and the and discover, you know, who you are as a person. And sometimes that has unfortunately meant that you push your parents away in that space, which you shouldn't do. It's like, it's a very unhealthy, it's a, unhealthy way to go about things and and chris from that space obviously again not having a dad around as well being in this one apartment with his mum that has popcorn ceilings and hasn't been done up <laughs> since the 1970s and 1980s he's been there for his entire educational life and now he has the opportunity to go somewhere else of course he's gonna he's gonna take it but um but he is nasty to his mum like his mum mm. doesn't deserve that his mum doesn't the, the 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 treatment he gets is is awful and it's and of course and the book doesn't excuse that yep even if you are seeing it from his perspective the benefit of being the reader is you can also look back and for look back at it and go hang on a minute mate you're being a bit you're being unreasonable here mm. um but the pro like he but again and this also comes down to the fact that he's terrible at communicating that he's ter <laughs> he's terrible at communicating that he wants to go out and actually discover who he is for it you know um in general and most parents in that situation would be like yes i want my 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 child my son or daughter to actually be able to do that to go out into that space and be happy but he's terrible at communicating that he just he's going about it in a very negative dishonest negative way that eventually obviously comes back to hurt him and yeah and i find it fascinating in that from almost like a narrative point of view the the narrative is culminate culminates or climaxes with logan and the casino and so you have hit this spiral that logan goes through from that first catch-up all the way through to the altercation with noah and then and then that final kind of dramatic scene and 
in some way, I completely understand what Logan goes through. I completely understand why Logan is the way that he is from the trauma that he has from his family background, all of that. I, I get it. And I really understand it. But for Chris though, like you were just saying, his failures are more like, not his failures, his difficulties are more internal. They're from an inability to communicate. They're from almost like a lack of confidence within who he yeah. is and what he wants within his life. And you, he, he just continually pushes everybody away, undermining his own thoughts. And he, you have these two examples of what mental health is or can be. Um, you have this one example of Logan, which is very much trauma-based, being the cause of the mental health. But then you have this, this example of Chris, where it's not so much trauma, it's just almost like the erosion of the waves against the cliff face over time, where these little failures of communication and lack of confidence get him to nearly as dangerous a point as Logan gets to. Why was was that a deliberate decision to have these two particular examples? Can you talk us through? Am I reading too much into no, the no. portrayals? No, it's it, each character kind of goes through a, a journey like that in in the story, and the Chris uh, Chris's actual uh, story mirrored somewhat similarly to my own, um, and the, each character as well, like if addresses a particular topic in different ways so you know chris is is very much kind of almost a sponge he almost i the, the word i think of is he kind of is just there he's there for the he he's almost doesn't exactly have an identity around who he is as himself and that is a big factor in why he feels so lost towards the end of the story um you look at Noah. So Noah looks to try and address issues head on he, he sees what the problem is the problem must be that that Logan has a problem with his gambling. Uh, that's the problem. Let's let's tackle that without failing to go deeper and ask the question of why why is he acting the way he's acting? And then lastly, Jock and Jock is probably the one that people have connected to the most. Um, they they I've had people mate, so many mates come up to me and say, "Oh, I'm definitely a Jock." It's just that <laughs> that sweep under the carpet approach of she'll be right that you see all the time. So if, if a mate is clearly struggling or dealing with an issue, you have those blokes that just go, yep, it'll be, yep, it'll be, it'll be fine. Let's just, you know. It'll sort itself out. Yeah. It'll sort itself out. Let's, let's, let's mask it all up with some banter and some and good chat. And if, um, even if it actually becomes detrimental to, to them. Uh, yeah. It's it, the, so each person goes through their own story, but for Chris, especially he is as, as the, uh, as the, the protagonist of this story, he's really figuring out who the hell he is. And that actual space of figuring out who you are and actually the point of growing up. I mean, he thinks he's grown up when he leaves home and does all of this <laughs> stuff and everything. But the truth is, he's completely not. He's not at all. And the fact that, the, the fact that his partner has to almost treat him like a, like a child um, says, says it all. The fact that he's not dealt with any of these issues in a very healthy and meaningful and manageable way um, that it's more around the approach of staying separate and keeping separate. That is, that is a major factor of his story. His not, his willingness to not actually, his community, his lack of ability to communicate or do, do things in a smart way or in an honest way with himself is what leads him down this, this path that he arrived. Yeah. I, I agree with those comments about Louise. I found her like, 
don't take this wrong, but I almost found her unrealistic in how just stable and solid and and well put together she was as a human being. And it was just so almost in a way jarring to see somebody who's emotionally healthy in comparison to the train wreck <laughs> of these young men's lives. Um, and that can be intimidating as well. Like the, yep. she knows what she wants. She's clear on what she wants. She has clarity in, in terms of what she wants to do, where she wants to go. And honestly, if you're in a relationship, that can actually be intimidating. You can be intimidated by the fact that you have someone in this relationship with you who might have something that you don't, um, which is surety and honesty in in, in themselves and that is a big factor as to why she eventually gets totally fed up with him the fact that he just he's going around in circles making the same mistakes over and over and over and she has to pick up the pieces of that as a result i had so much admiration for her willingness just to drop everything and say yes in the final kind of climax when he's like i need to do this he's like yes and that just spoke to me of a woman who i don't know there's just love there's just love and care within that. Um, now, look, we can read as readers into this book as much as we want. Um, I remember when I was doing uh, English literature at university as well, we had the death of the author kind of theory from Roland Barthes. It's like, whatever the author intends doesn't really matter because it's what the reader takes out of it that really is the kind of meaning from a book. But realistically, I, I never agreed with that because I always thought the author has a meaning to the book. For you, what is the takeaway that you are hoping readers would have as a result of reading When Men Cry? It's it's so funny that you that you touch on that particular topic that, you know, because it, it, on one level, you as an author, you just make the content because mm. it's the, because really you're, you're in this situation and you're making it and that's just what comes out. And often it's the audience that can decide what happens. But with me, you often have to, when I was writing this, I had to, to really narrow it down to what is this story about? Um, and the truth is it's about honesty. That is what this story is about. And that is what I hoped that when a reader reads this, the value of honesty, the value of not just honesty with your friends, um, but honesty with yourself, honesty with uh, giving yourself that permission to actually be, um, admit to yourself that you're not okay. And I mean, even the actual, let's even talk about the actual act of crying. The, the actual <laughs> act of crying is a physical response. It's, a, it's your body physically acknowledging this, this particular emotion or this particular feeling. It's an actual physical embodiment of honor the act itself. So the kind of thing that I wanted to, to, for people to take away from it, and of course, like, it's always up to interpretation again, and that's one of the, the, the joys of, of reading and literature and that space is the need to be honest with yourself and with other people and that can come and that leads to once you have that honesty you that leads to care that leads to love that leads to understanding and that leads to you know people feeling safe around you and having and if people are dealing with that issue with issues and are struggling to be honest with themselves or struggling with this particular space being that honest person that can be that safe space for for the for other people and be and be that that rock that you can that you know you can be mitch i might ask you in a moment the same question of kind of what your takeaway from the book was for you as a reader but to give you time to think about it before okay. i just cut Thank straight you. to you um i might say my point as well or my my takeaway um like i mentioned before i was really kind of just hit emotionally with the kind of spiral that Chris really took and the fear that for him it was going to turn out really badly and i 
I think I mentioned this to you, Nick, off the pod, but I actually read the book in one sitting. So I started it at about 8 p.m. Um, the night that it arrived and then about 12.30, 1 a.m. that night. Um, so Such a typical back thing. I'm a fool. <laughs> took me about three weeks to finish it. Took you one sitting. <laughs> do, you know the, do, you know, no, do you know what the worst part for me is? That took me five years of my life. <laughs> So five what? One life. hour per year? It, yeah, you finished it in you finished it in 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 four hours, and I and I was like, that's five years of my life that I'm never getting back, and you demolished it. If it but helps, it. if it helps, it's because I'm a massive fantasy nerd, and the recent um, Brandon Satterson book I read was 1,200 oh, yeah. pages. Um, so <laughs> a small like less than 200 page novel. Yeah, I'm fine with. Anyway, <laughs> my, my point within that was um, I actually got to about 12.30am and because of some of my own experiences, because of my fears with what Chris, um, the journey that he was going with in the book, I actually was really impacted by it and I just couldn't sleep. And I was um, just lying awake, struggling and just kind of imagining and putting myself in Chris's, particularly as he's sitting there at the bench at the Gap. And I, my takeaway from uh, after I was able to finally just work through what I was feeling and my emotions, talking with my wife about it the next day was just the recognition that for me, particularly, it's really healthy to let yourself feel that negative. Well, and this is my situation in my case and my, my way of thinking through it is that it's for me healthy to be honest with the way that I'm feeling and not just bottle it away and, and ignore it. because it's something that I do is something that I think some of my mates do as, as well. We just pretend it's not an issue and move on. And, and then things boil up over time so and then result in the very few times where I actually cry like you were just mm. talking about men don't do it often for me it's when things are when things really reach that tipping point so the takeaway for me really was that I need to be and it's be more honest with where we are at in our feelings and our struggles in our joys in our successes and there and in yeah it, that's that's really awesome that that's what you got out of it and it's it's a, particularly the admission of honesty that you are not okay. that is so that is actually you giving yourself that that safe space going easy on yourself because people are very hard on themselves these days that you always need to be at your best at 100 miles an hour and it's it's such an unhealthy mindset to be in if you are if you are having a tough time to acknowledge that is one of the healthiest things you do and be honest and say, this is why I'm struggling. This is why I'm not okay. And that is totally fine. That is, that is good to acknowledge that to um, is important. And one of the key, you know, one of the key lines at the end of the, of the, of the book is when you, when you, when you cry, you're saying yes to because yep. you're being honest with yourself. And even if that is a sad feeling, it can also, you know, that it's important and kind of touching on your topic of the fact that, you know, you find yourself difficult that you don't cry very often. One of the things I did when I was researching as well was actually asking partners or looking at research of how women reacted when their partners, their male partners specifically cried in front of them. And so many of them viewed it as such a privileged thing that I, I was, I was so privileged to witness that. I was so privileged to, to experience that. And that really angered me that response because it basically said to me that men are dealing with stuff all the time and the fact that they don't even have the the vulnerability or the or feel comfortable enough to even cry in front of the people who are closest is really sad um and it's it's amazing that those partners acknowledge that they acknowledge how important that is but the more the fact that those part that those those men don't feel comfortable to even cry in front of their partners is something that 
hit me really like made me go, well, this is something that I need to write. This is something that I need. So it's really good that being honest with yourself, um, even when you are feeling in that, that, that place, because in the, it is, it's good that that was something that, that came out of this because mm. in the end, that is something for you that you can look back on whenever you're, you know, when you, whenever you're seeing friends or you're dealing with issues again in, with yourself in the future and giving yourself that honesty and giving yourself that safe space. It makes you stronger. Mitchell. Mm. Yeah, I um, I just found it very authentic. Um, I would say I, I, I'm quite lucky in my sort of past experiences. I've never found myself at that kind of level where Chris or um, Logan sort of got to. Um, and I, I'm very thankful for that. But there have definitely been past experiences that have been quite traumatic. And I, I found that I was able to, like all the different characters experience things differently and um, had different reactions to those difficult times. And I, I just found it very authentic to be able to put myself in those positions. And sort of, I could see myself doing similar things to nearly all of the, the characters. And so I, yeah, I just res- resonated with all of them and all the experiences and like, yeah, I can definitely see myself being like jock and just pushing it to the side and yeah, no, it's fine. We won't talk about it and it'll work its way out or other times being like nowhere and just trying to charge in and, and sort the issue out when it's probably not the right time and people aren't ready to, to talk through it and that kind of thing. Or, um, or like Chris as well, just not, being open with other people and, and talking it through and, and just holding it close to my chest and just, yeah, starting to spiral a little bit. So yeah, I was just, I found it very, um, very easy to read very, like it's a very difficult topic, but I found the way you wrote very easy yeah. to read, very approachable. Um, the characters were also very likable. So it made me want to keep reading, want to find out what happened to each of the guys. And they do seem to split towards the end, which, which was sad from where it started because they were very close at the beginning. But um, yeah, it's a very natural progression, I think, for for guys and and for for life, really. So I just found it, it was a great read, really, really good. Well done. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. I really am because you know it's it, one person had said to me, it's a book for blokes. It's a story for blokes. And yep. if if this book is and I know for a fact, so I work with a with a there's a charity. I'm 10 of my earnings from this book are going to, is going to a mental health charity called Livin, which is the same charity that the Dremoyne Dirty Reds uh, work with. Um, I already know, they, they messaged me recently before Christmas and said, as a result of reading the book, someone had reached out to them um, asking for help for their own, with their own experience. And I was thinking to myself, how awesome is that? Because, mm-hmm. yep. you know, someone has seen that and if, and if, and if they have seen something and, and taken something positive out of it and it's helped them get to a place that they might not have been had they not read it, then that is something fantastic and something wonderful. Um, and it's really great that you you connected with it as well. And and hopefully you know you look in in the at, in these situations in a new way and realize it's not a scary thing to be if someone is dealing with their issues mm. or with mental health. It's something that you can approach with, you can approach and deal with in a very honest way because we're all human beings at the end and that human experience is how is what we're all connected. So I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, perfect. Cool. Um, well, I think that um, that leads us into our sort of wrap-up questions. So what happens now for, for you, Nick, and for the, the book? Is there any more to write? Have you got further stories for these characters or are you moving on to something else? Um, there is. I actually am writing a little bit of a short story um, from Logan's perspective, cool. um, which I'm 
currently working through. But in terms of a, of a sequel novel or a sequel uh, thing like that, I don't want to, we live in a time where sequels are, are a dime a dozen these days. And I don't want to force a story that, I don't want to force a story out if there isn't a good story there to tell. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, these, it, it came to a, a, a place where I thought at, for now that I was, that I thought was happy, that I was personally happy with. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not to say that there might not be something in the future. The truth is I simply don't know. Yeah. It's the, the, the story that I wanted to tell, I told it. And, uh, and I don't want to, if, and if I don't want to push it any further, but I am writing again, I'm writing a, another book um, separate, um, which, uh, which my resolution this year is to get it is to actually finish that manuscript, which is <laughs> yeah, awesome. going to be a, a, t- a terrifying prospect because now I'm now it's just me and the page again, which is the <laughs> most exciting thing and the most terrifying thing. Uh, one thing I was wondering as we were kind of getting to this wrapping up point is obviously when men cry has a very strong identity and a very strong flavor and almost a very strong purpose that it's trying to achieve. Um, will a follow up book have a similar? purpose-based drive behind it or is it just going to be like a james bond adventure novel what are you what are you thinking moving forward uh, i i am probably going to to do something similar in terms of actually having a, a purpose because yeah, okay. the purpose was i mean at least for this upcoming book because the purpose behind it was the purpose behind when men cry is what drove me to, to finish the story and to write the story. And that element of it was incredibly important. It became incredible. So the, this story that's, that's coming, I know that there's, there's going to be something here that I'm going to talk about that's very important. As, um, and it's, and so it'll be something similar to that. I, frankly, I don't know if I'm, uh, I need to get better at writing. Um, <laughs> I, I need to, I don't know if I'm, if I'm at that stage where I can produce something fun and flowery and easy to enjoy yet. But <laughs> Uh, right now, I, I, this book's proven to me that I can do it. I yeah. can do it. I can write a book. <laughs> Thank God. I thought that was impossible. Um, so now it's just a matter of getting better. Um, indeed. So, yeah. Exciting, mate. Well, um, I think we might wrap things up there. I think, look, I like we were saying throughout this chat, it's been for both Mitch and I a, a privilege and a just a a, a growing experience, a, a positive experience in different stretchy, uncomfortable ways uh, to, to read When Men Cry. And that's to say very good things about the way in which you are challenging the people who read, particularly the men who read your novels. So thank you for that as well. Thank you for your time on the pod tonight. Bit, bit of a change of pace for us, but hey, it's it's 2021. It's a new year with new expectations. So <laughs> it's, it's quality times. Is there anything you wanted to kind of finish off with, Nick? Just thank you. Um, it's, you know, you're a one man show doing, doing books like these and, you know, the, the people that you t- that you speak to and the people who I've had, I've been blessed and lucky enough to speak to about this book have, have really, you know, given it so much love and given it so much care. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. It inspires you to, and um, you know, it's, it's, it's such a strange thing when you think about it and, at the, and, and can it at times be a bit jarring, but it is so wonderful that, that you can do that and it's incredibly humbling and so I, I appreciate the fact that you know you guys have taken the time to read this and enjoy it and that you've loved it and that you're even willing to record a podcast about it on our on our on our rugby podcast where we're normally chatting about the consistent failure of the Waratahs and how like <laughs> oh yes he's got, he's got one wrong. in he's got one in he's not wrong 
And 2021 does not look more positive for us uh, either. But being a realist, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a huge it's it's I feel absolutely privileged to be here, and I and thank you so much for having me on. And I am always happy to come back on and chat, whatever the topic may be, whether it be rugby again when, when the Super Rugby AU starts up, or with or, or on topics like this. So thank you so much for having me. It's been a it's absolute pleasure. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Nick, and thanks, Mitch everybody for listening it's been fun and we'll see you in the next week or two for our super rugby au preview catch you later bye